0: So good to worship. So thankful to be a part of worshiping with you guys and those of you guys who are with us online or maybe getting ready to listen to this as a podcast right now. God can move right now wherever you're at. He can move if you're in the seat and he can move if you're driving or watching somewhere at home or something. We just believe right now that God's going to get a hold of our hearts. And so we're in this series called Top Ten, and we're looking at the Ten Commandments, not as a checklist, like if we could somehow do all of these, that we would somehow earn righteousness with God, because that's not how grace works. But we're looking at them through the lens of, is there an invitation for us to be called closer to Jesus, closer to the ways of God? And certainly there is. And we've made it through several of these, and I'm thankful for Pastor Aaron taking the last couple weeks. Give Pastor Aaron a big hand for taking a couple of those. I mean, I gave him do not murder, so he had to handle that one. And, uh, but however, I do have this one today, which is found in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14. And it's very short. It just simply says this. You shall not commit adultery. Right, so don't do it, people. Like, stop. Just don't do that. And we're good, right? Like, what else do we have to say about this? Very short, a small command, but there's a reason why it's here. Now, let me just start off by saying this. If you, in today's day and age, in, in our culture today, if you talk about sexual morality or any, really any sexual boundaries, it can be seen as like old fashioned at best or bigoted. Worse, like if you put any boundaries, because we're in this society today that basically says anything goes and that whatever you feel is the way that you should feel and you should follow after that. And listen, if we're honest, we look at scripture. How many of you guys know there's some crazy stuff in scripture? You start reading through there and you're like, even some of the main uh, people in the Bible, you're like, what is going on with that? Like, why is this happening and why? And so, even as you read the Bible, it can seem like sometimes that anything goes in this area. But what we want to do is we want to look at God's heart in this. And to find God's heart, we're going to go back to the garden, right? So we're going to go back to the very beginning. And in the very beginning, God lays out a foundation uh, for what this is all about. And he talks about, and, and I'm just going to summarize all of this real quick, but basically he paints a picture of what marriage is. And he says marriage is between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. Then the fall happens, And then everything gets crazy for several books of the Bible, right? Several centuries, things get crazy because sin enters and there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens. And then the cross comes and the new covenant comes. And again, we see reaffirmed in Ephesians chapter five, probably one of the most famous passages about this in scripture. We see again, reaffirmed God's way in marriage, which we find again, a husband and a wife, a man and a woman in marriage. And he defines any sex outside of that as a sin, whether before marriage or while married. Any sex outside of that would be a sin. So God doesn't say these things and put these boundaries on us because he's trying to hurt us. He's putting these, uh, this way before us because it is God's way and it's God's heart for us. And it's the way that God planned and de- designed this. And we could say a lot of things about adultery because adultery is, you know, it, it is that Two people are married and then sex outside of marriage. And I could talk a lot about all the harmful things that happen because of that, but I think one of the reasons why it's most harmful in many ways is because anytime you have something like this, you usually have something that's being hidden. You usually have secrets. You have things in the dark. And nothing of God grows in the dark. You need to bring it into light. So some of you here may have pain in your past of having struggled with this or fallen into this. Listen, there's no condemnation here because there's no condemnation in Christ. There's only healing in Christ, right? And you may be struggling with this right now. You may be in this right now, and no one knows except for you and the other person. Maybe your spouse doesn't even know, and it's in the dark. Let me just tell you, nothing of God grows in the dark. And it may be painful to bring it out into the light, but it's the best thing that you could do. And we're here to help you however we can in that. But listen, I could sit here and I could talk about all the downsides of sin and I could go down that path today. Um, But I want to give you something to think about when it comes to this area of marriage. And by the way, this message is going to deal with marriage, but it really can deal with any relationship. There's stuff here for any relationship. And if you can't find something for any relationship, maybe a friendship or anything, you can certainly hear something between you and God today. And so this message is really for everybody but I want to give you something to think about, especially in the area, uh, area of marriage and relationships, okay? And to do that, I have to go back a couple years, uh, not too long ago, but how many of you guys remember watching the Chiefs in the Super Bowl? How many of you guys remember that? Chiefs in the Super Bowl. How many of you guys did not watch the Super Bowl? Is anybody, any person in here not? Okay, there's a couple people. I was really shocked by that last night as well. I figured everybody on the planet watched the Super Bowl. But if you remember, like the first three quarters or so, it wasn't looking very good for the Chiefs, right? It wasn't looking very good. And you even get all the way into the fourth quarter and there's like six and a half minutes left and I believe the Chiefs were down by like 10 points, right? It was not looking good. You have the 49ers doing their picture in the end zone. You're just just gonna punch my TV, you know, at that point. And it was not looking good. And then the Chiefs come back and they score three touchdowns in like six and a half minutes, right? And why, like, why is it, that some teams get out to a big lead and then blow the lead. Like, I've seen that happen in NBA and the finals and different things like that. A team will get out in the lead and then blow the lead. And it it happens because of this. Because some teams, when they get in the lead, they stop playing to win and they start playing not to lose. And I think this happens in our marriages, At some point we stop playing to win for our marriages to win and thrive and we simply start playing to not lose. In other words, we start playing simply to stay. We start playing to stay. We start playing to stay married as if that's the win. What happens when you only play to stay is you end up losing. I see so many people who just play to stay and end up losing because they stopped playing to win and they started playing to not lose. And this is the problem. This is so I want to give you something to think about. We could talk about sin and how to play to just stay. I just want to stay married. But what I really want to do today is I want, to play. I want us to, to start to think about how to win and thrive in our marriages so that we don't just play to stay, but we actually play to win. Because I've been to a lot of weddings. How many of you guys have been to a lot of weddings? Anybody been to a lot of weddings? How many of you guys just love weddings? Anybody just love weddings? Two people. That's what it was last night, too. I don't understand. I thought it was just me. Because I've been to a ton of weddings. Because I've, I've officiated tons of weddings. And listen, I mean, you got all the stuff. You got all, all the stuff that happens, all the stupid dances that happen at the wedding. It's like all the same stuff. Like where do you guys go online to find out how to do those dances? I have no idea, but it's like everybody in the world knows what the dance is but me. I don't know what you all are doing up there, but it looks ridiculous, okay? I'm just saying It just, I never jump in there because I don't know what you're doing. And everybody thinks like they can dance all of a sudden. You can't. I'm just being real, guys. I just, it looks so funny to me. And so I've already said too much. I know I've already said too much. But uh, I'm just, here's what I've discovered, though. There's a lot that happens at a wedding. and, And I've been a pastor for long enough to see cycles happen, to see patterns happen. And what I've noticed, and not just me, but many people have noticed, that so many people prepare for the wedding day and never prepare for their marriage. So then they end up getting married, and then they got to go find some advice somewhere, and they find all this horrible advice everywhere. And they start finding this advice and, well, if I could just do this and so-and-so did that and I saw this, this is the way that somebody's married or this is the way my parents were. And so then we start falling after horrible advice. And so just to kind of lighten things up a little bit, I thought maybe I would show this stupid video that I've showed before. Maybe it's just the youth pastor in me. I don't know, but these guys are ridiculous. But they can give you some killer marriage advice. So let's take a look.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Gary Smalley, and I've been helping marriages for years improve, and I've got a couple of friends who have some very unique insights into marriage, and I want you to meet them.
2: Hey, thank you, Gary. My name is Johnny. And I'm Chachi. And, you know, marriages is something that I think we're all excited about and something that we think we can bring a lot of wisdom to. Isn't that right, Dr.
1: Dobson? Uh, Smalley?
3: Oh, well, oh, that that's Sorry. our faux pas. We've that. got some killer marriage tips we think that are really going to knock your socks off. Yeah. So let's do some dancing, get this party started, and help marriages no. out all over the country. Let's no. do
2: it. No, no, let's go ahead and just roll with the tips. No dance. When you get the chance, finish your wife's sentences. For her. Yeah. It's important that she knows that you know where she's going with a particular thought or sentence.
3: Yeah, this says, I know you, I love you. And you're predictable, but
2: in a good way. When on vacation, have fun. But make sure your wife knows exactly how much this thing is costing. Now remember, allowing her to feel guilt can actually be a good thing.
3: Right you are. Because guilt is actually an acronym for good financial
2: stewardship. No, that's-
3: Yeah, it is.
2: It is. That it makes sense. It is. It is. It is.
1: It is. It is. Does not make
2: sense. It is. When you're in an argument, it's key to use the time that your spouse is talking to come up with what you want to say next. So it goes like this: you speak, and then while she's speaking, you think, and then you speak again.
3: And that's how the killer comebacks happen.
2: Surprise your wife with a weekend trip for you and your buddies. Husbands, doing this will help her see that you're taking care of your needs.
3: And taking care of your needs will give you the ability to take care of her needs. You know, putting your kids in timeout works for most parents, but putting your spouse in timeout can also be really effective. Putting your spouse in the timeout chair will hopefully help her see things from a different perspective, preferably
2: yours. And if you get any pushback, I'd let her know that you're having a hard time telling her apart from the children. <laughs> That's a classic. Oh, okay. Whenever your wife tells you about something she wants to buy, respond with the sound effect of a cash register. Here's a little role play for you. Hey honey, I'm gonna go buy some skinny jeans. Cha-ching. <laughs> hey, honey, I'm gonna go get some bread now. Cha-ching. <laughs> You know, guys,
1: uh, those were kind of horrible tips. Okay.
3: I guess she didn't like them that much.
1: I mean, when you think about it, uh, those were killer tips, and I think they'd like kill most marriages.
3: Well, (laughs) I guess we're at an impasse then. Awkward. Hey, Gary, here's an idea, though. To keep the video rolling, let's just do the robot at the end send this thing out for some fun, if you know what I'm saying. Are we gonna do that with us?
1: I, I, I tell you what, I was, you know, uh, a little bit uncomfortable by this, and it's kinda of, like weird.
0: So a lot of people get some bad advice, follow after bad advice, we don't wanna do that. So uh, rather than spending time talking about all the negatives, I wanna spend some time talking about some things that hopefully will have fair proof our, mess, our marriages or uh, adultery-proof them. And so one of the things that I tell people, I, almost every couple that I'm working with in uh, like doing their wedding or whatever, is I say, I'm really here for one thing. I'm here, you can do all this stuff, we can have all this fun, but I'm really here for the covenant. You know that marriage is a covenant, Right. It's a covenant between these two people and God, and that's why I am there. And so what I want to do is I'm going to give you a little teaching on covenant and how it all started and how the covenant with Abraham started. So to do that, we have to understand, go back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, and we see that, you know, Abraham is a guy who doesn't have any kids, and he's getting older, and he doesn't think he's going to have an heir, but God begins to promise and to covenant with him, uh, not just for him personally, but for a nation and for ultimately all the peoples in the earth, that through him will come uh, the Savior, ultimately. It's through his lineage, but he has no kids, right? And through him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed eventually through Jesus Christ that will come through him. And so it says, and he brought him outside, God brought Abram outside and said, look to heaven and then at the number of the stars, and if you are able to number them, and then he said, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and, and it was counted to him as righteousness, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur to the Chaldees and to give you this land to possess. And he begins to lay out the conditions of this covenant and the the things that God is going to do. He says, but, oh, Lord God, how am I to possess this? And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove, a young pigeon. So he brought him all these, and this is key. He cut them in half and laid each half over and against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half, and when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now skip down to verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. This is the Spirit of God, the, the actually God passing between the pieces. Remember, two pieces are laid out. Spirit of God is passing through the pieces. And on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. We have to understand when, uh, in, in the Hebrew language, when it talks about covenant, it doesn't say to make a covenant. It literally means to cut a covenant. And so here God cuts, they, they cut these animals. See, And, and also, God forbid any human cutting, and so an animal sacrifice was used in its place. This is painting a picture of one day how, in our covenant with God, Jesus took our place and was a substitute and, and how his blood was spilled. And so there's a picture of a foreshadowing of what is to come from Abraham's perspective. And so they would have two halves of the same animal. And many times what they would do to make a covenant is they would walk around. Like just imagine two humans, not Abraham and God, but two humans. So they would walk around these pieces in the figure eight. And as they would walk around these pieces, they would recite the terms of the covenant as they were walking around them. Now here, the this, this Spirit of God comes down, and he's walking in between the pieces with Abram, making this covenant together. And so they would make this covenant together, and they would say that there, a lot of people say there's two possible reasons, symbolic reasons why these pieces were laid out. One reason was to say to those, to communicate to those entering into the covenant, That if you break this covenant, what has happened to these animals is what will happen to you. (laughs) That's pretty alarming, right? (laughs) That if you break it, what has happened? Now, another reason why people believe that this is symbolic is because what it's saying is that even though there are two pieces, that these two pieces are actually one flesh. And so what this is communicating is that those who are entering in the covenant, though there are two people, it's as if they were one. Can anyone see a little bit of what, when God starts using the same language towards marriage, and he says that the two shall become one, flesh. And so this is, it's more likely that that's the case. And many times, in some way, shape, or form, they would pledge in any type, like between armies or between countries or between people, they would pledge Three things. They would pledge loyalty to each other. They would pledge protection to each other. And they would pledge provision. So loyalty for life, protection even until I die, and provision until you've got everything that I have. So if another army you know, allied with another army, they would say, we are in it. We are all in. And no matter what it costs us, if it costs us everything, we're in it as much as you're in it. And so that's what a covenant was like. Now, some, a couple of generations pass. God begins to his pro, fulfill his promise to Abraham. And so Abraham has Isaac, miracle child, right? And then uh, Isaac has uh, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, we know, has strayed. Jacob, we know, he has uh, you know, conned people, cheated people, and now he's on the run. But as he's on the run, he has this encounter with God. And many of you guys will remember this. He has this encounter with God where he sees this um, ladder set up from earth until heaven. He has this vision of the night where he he has this dream and angels are ascending and descending on this. And as he has this vision or this dream, God begins to speak to him and remind him of this covenant with with his grandfather. And so we can see this in Genesis chapter 28. It says, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac, And it says, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. He's reminding him of these covenants. In this, we are going to see those three things. We're going to see loyalty, protection, and provision. Watch for it. It says that your offspring shall be like that of the dust of the earth, and you shall spread about to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. Here's the loyalty piece, and I will keep you. Here's the protection piece, and I will bring you back to this land. The land is promised through provision, for I will not leave you until I have done all that I have promised to you. So God reminds him that in this covenant that I made with your grandfathers, loyalty, protection, provision. And we know this is true because of what Jacob echoes back to him in verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow. Why was it important for Jacob to make a vow? God made a covenant with Abraham. But listen, just because your parents are Christians doesn't make you a Christian. Just because your parents are followers of Jesus or your grandfather doesn't make, mean that you have decided to follow Jesus. I think it was important for Jacob to make a decision on his own to say, I'm going to be faithful to the God of my fathers, not just because they were, but because I am. And so he made a vow saying, well, if God will be with me, if God's gonna be loyal to me, If God will keep me in this way, ultimately that meant protection, you can see that as you study that out, in the way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, provision, so that I will come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord will be my God. He's like, if God is a loyal God, a protecting God, and a God who provides, then I am all in. Loyalty, protection, provision. Now, God then uses marriage as a picture of his covenant with people, so This covenant that God made with Abraham and that God makes with his people, he now wants to create a picture, a little mini picture of that in every marriage. So what's going to be involved in every single marriage, a godly marriage, there are going to be these three things, loyalty, protection, and provision. These three elements are going to be, why? Because it's a mini picture of God's covenant with us. And so I want you to see these things, because if we go all the way over to Ephesians chapter 5, which I already mentioned, we will see all of these three things, these elements in what God describes as a healthy marriage that represents God's covenant. And again, we can go all the way to the end of this little passage here and God says that marriage is a mystery but it represents Christ in the church. So we know that it's a mini picture of the covenant. All right, so let's look at this. And you need to have these in your relationships You need to have, and this is in your relationship with God, this is in your relationship with others, but especially, this is a relationship between you and your spouse, okay? These elements should be here. Number one, loyalty for life. When you make a covenant before your spouse, you are saying, many times, even in the words, you say, till death do us part, okay? So, loyalty for life. Let's look at it, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, and it says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord talk about extreme loyalty. That's an extreme loyalty, right? For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, remember it's a picture, so also should wives submit in everything to their husbands. You say, well, that sounds a little bit extreme just for wives to do that. That's an extreme loyalty. Watch what it says to the husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You guys know Jesus died on the cross for us talk about the ultimate giving of your life, extreme loyalty. The Bible talks a lot about faithfulness, doesn't it? You know, you know even at the end, every single one of us want to hear these words, these famous words, well done, good, and what? Faithful servant. We can see parables about faithfulness. God calls us to be faithful. What does it mean to be faithful? Well, one way we could look at it is if I go and take a piece of paper and I draw on it, and I take it over a few rooms over to this copy machine we have back there and I put it on the copy machine and I hit copy and a, a copy comes out. If I take the original and I look at the copy and it's the exact same thing, it is what? It's a faithful copy. We're called to be a faithful copy of Jesus so that we represent Jesus well. And I believe we're called to be faithful. But hear me now. I think sometimes if we only talk about faithfulness in our marriage, we can start to adopt this idea of playing just to stay. Well, I'm gonna be faithful. I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stay because of the, kids. I'm gonna stay, because I'm gonna do the right thing. And that's good. We need to have an element of faithful to, faithfulness to us that gets us through tough times when we don't feel it, when we're having struggles. We need that faithfulness. But I've talked about this before, but I believe this is so key. Because loyalty, I believe, is a step further than faithfulness. Because you can be faithful and not loyal at the same time. You can be faithful in your task, but not loyal in your heart. You can be faithful in your marriage at doing the right things, and yet your heart is far from your spouse. How many of you guys know this is true, right? You can be faithful and not loyal. I don't believe God is just calling us to faithfulness in marriage. I believe he's calling us to loyalty. You know, you can be faithful to your family, but not loyal, not present. You can be faithful, providing, doing all the things, you know, checking the boxes, and yet not fully present when you're around them. You can be faithful to the vision and calling God has on your life and not loyal to it. What, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is, just think about the story of Jonah. Jonah eventually became faithful and he did exactly what God told him to do, yet his heart was far from God's calling on his life. It was far from the people. So you can be faithful and not loyal. You can be faithful to a church and you can serve and you can do all this stuff and not loyal in your heart. You can be disconnected from that. And here's the thing about loyalty. You, you can't be loyal to everything. But in some ways, you can be faithful to everything. You can be faithful to your job, faithful to your church, faithful to your family, faithful to your marriage, faithful to all these things and do every, check every box. But loyalty it's different than faithfulness. Because you can't be loyal to everything or you're really loyal to nothing. Because loyalty is exclusivity. So when we talk about being loyal in our relationships, here's what loyalty is. Loyalty is faithfulness in task and allegiance. It's not just that I'm doing the right thing, saying the right things, checking off the right boxes, But it's also that the allegiance in my heart towards this person in my life, that they not only have my tasks or my activity, but they have my allegiance. And some might even say that a godly marriage is almost, from what other people would think, is an unreasonable allegiance. It may seem ridiculous at times. Because loyalty is exclusivity. How many of you guys ever know somebody that has an unreasonable allegiance to a certain brand or a product, right? And they'll they'll go out of their way, they'll spend so much money on a certain product just because it's that product. It doesn't mean it's any better or any worse. It's just they have an unreasonable. How many of you guys have ever known somebody that would like drive four hours out of the way for a certain donut or something like that? It's like, that's unreasonable allegiance to that product, right? Well, marriage is like, from the outside, it may look like an unreasonable allegiance. So let me just tell you something personal. I kind of have a personal conviction on this, that I made a decision that that I was not going to be alone with a woman that was not my wife. I mean, my kids and my mom. I felt one day, one day I was riding in the car with my mom. I felt so awkward. I was like, I've so structured my life to not be in a place uh, with, that wasn't her. And I was like, and my mom looked over and she's like, what, what's wrong with you? I was like, you're not my wife. I just feel so awkward. You know, I I know it came out of you, but it's just, uh, (laughs) just feels so weird right now. And but I had this, this conviction that I, and so there's been so many times when, when like somebody would walk into a room or something like that and I'm the only one there and, and that person is the only one there and I would just run out. I'd just like literally just run out. They won't know why. I'll have to explain it later and like I really don't hate you. I just, I've got this thing where I, I won't do that and it seems unreasonable. It seems unre- And so here at the church, you know, we have multiple staff here and we don't have certain set scheduled hours. And so here at the church, we've got these different bays here in the church that you can close off. And, and so we will go to an extreme, seemingly unreasonable task of trying to coordinate with one another. So that if I'm in one part of the building or I'm in the building at the same time as, as somebody else that we coordinate, that we're not in the same area, we're communicating. And it seems unreasonable, And this may just be a personal thing with me, but I can tell you it's because I have an unreasonable allegiance to this woman. And I don't care how unreasonable you think it is. I don't care. Because that's loyalty. That's loyalty. That's faithfulness in task and allegiance because loyalty is exclusivity. Now, the second part of that is the protection piece. That in our relationships that it's protection unto the death. It is till death do us part. Ephesians chapter five, verse 26 through 27 says, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the words. You can see there's a protection element here. There's a washing, there's there's a guarding, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing so that she might be holy and without blemish. How many of you guys know you have to protect to keep blemishes away? You have to protect. If you have kids, you know there's going to be some spots and wrinkles unless you protect, right? Unless you put some some protection in front of them. They're going to do that. And so there's a protection element to this. Now, I want to give you a picture of this. And many of you guys know that Beck and I went to Glacier National Park just not too long ago. And... um, And there was the question, you guys remember beforehand I I preached that sermon where I had my bear canister and I was like trying to get every cent off of me because I didn't want to, you know, be eaten. And so I I didn't want to be eaten by a bear. And so the question was, did I see one? Well, this video is a little bit long, but I want to just, I've got a point at the end of it and it kind of answers the question whether we saw any or not. So take a look. So one day we were walking on this road that they had closed off and they only let hikers and bikers uh, walk beyond it and ride beyond it because the snow was so packed up there and so we were walking on this road for miles for six seven miles and it was pretty exhausting it was kind of the back country no cars going on or anything like that and it was we only had a couple hours left of daylight and we had to turn around but we were trying to get to this special spot and as we did we encountered this bear and i really wanted to see a bear so that I could say, smell us now, lady, based off that other guy's video when a bear bluff charged him. And so this first bear sighting was pretty cool, about 100 yards away, here it is.
1: Back, 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 back. Smell us now, lady. So we
0: kept our composure, we didn't run away, we did not uh, We did all of the stuff we were supposed to do. We had a bear spray out, it was awesome, but we had to turn around because we didn't know where this bear went. We still had miles to go. It was going to start getting dark, and we were in the backcountry, and we couldn't get stuck out there, so we started to walk back. And as we were walking back on this road you know, for several miles, and it was starting to get darker, still had miles to go, we're walking right down the middle of the road, and Becca says, what is that over there in the ditch? And and we tried to discern what it was and finally we realized that it was a black bear hiding in the ditch but we had no options we had to keep going or we were going to get stuck in the back country and so we began to walk and as we began to walk by this thing this black bear lunged at us and bluff charged us from 10 feet away and so what you're about to see is just after this happened you can see in the right side of the screen you can see that black spot of where the bear is it was pretty cool. Back,
1: back, 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 back. Go on. Go on. Go on. Go on. Go on. Go on. He just charged us right before I got it on camera, literally just charged at us. Smell us now, lady.
0: Now black bears are awesome, but man, we were in grizzly country. So I really wanted to see a grizzly bear. In fact, Glacier National Park is the highest concentration of grizzly bears in the lower 48. And where we were staying was the highest concentration of grizzly bears in Glacier National Park. So we were literally in the highest concentration of grizzly grizzly bears in the lower 48 states. And so we had seen some grizzly bears off in the distance and stuff, but one day we'd been hiking for about six hours and there were berry bushes everywhere. No wonder the bears love it up there. And we'd been hiking for about six hours and literally less than 50 feet in front of us, a grizzly bear, pops its big old head out of the berry bushes right in front of us on the trail, and we had nowhere to go.
1: We're okay, it's okay, back, back. We're just here, just a human, just a human, just a human, no big deal, go on, go on, it's okay. All right. It's okay, mama, All right. it's okay, mama. It's alright. Okay. Come on. Okay. Go on. Go on. Go on, grizzly. Go on. We're okay. Go on. Okay. Go on. We're okay. We're okay, Mama. Okay. We're okay. Come on. Okay, We're okay. Come on. Okay, bear. You're good. All right, bear. You're good you're good we're just okay Okay, we don't want to be your food come on we're okay Okay, we don't want to be your food we're okay Okay, we don't want to be your food
0: so we had to keep walking backwards for five minutes on this trail as this grizzly bear begins to walk towards us and we were making some distance on it but we cannot make a mistake And so we were walking backwards after walk after hiking for six hours walking backwards and could not go anywhere and you could see even though you can't see it on the video I can still see it visually where the grizzly bears around the next corner or above the berry bushes and we had nowhere to go so we were trying to make it back to these switchbacks where we could cross back up and hopefully get away from this thing not knowing if this thing would come up after the after us up the hill so finally, we made it up to these switchbacks and we're tirelessly crawling up these switchbacks, trying to make noise for the bear, trying to find anybody or anything to get away from this bear. We finally made it to the top, not knowing where the bear was at.
1: Hey bear, we are okay, we are okay. Hey bear. Hey there, let's keep going. We're just human, and we're tired of hiking. So we've been hiking for six hours. Keep going. Keep going. Up to the original spot. There, there he is, maybe, it's one. I don't know if that's it or not. That's a big grizzly. I don't know if that's it, but that was a big one. Look how big it is in the water. That was a lot of walking backwards. Has bad as close as they come. Smell us now, lady. That thing popped right up out of the grass. What was it? I don't know. 20 feet, maybe? 30, 20, 30 feet in front of us. I wish it I popped his it head before. right up. Well, I wanted to see a grizzly. What
2: is the deal. And there you go.
0: And that, is our grizzly story. That was fun, yeah. For, for those of you guys who are worried, spoiler alert, we lived. We're not in a hospital, okay? Like, I've been preaching. So, um, But no, the reason I showed you that is because it's a really cool story, and I just wanted to tell you about the story. No, I, I, want, to, I want you to have that picture in your mind. And now here, I, I want to make a very powerful point. I want you to think about The positioning of where everyone was at. Think about where the grizzly bear was at. Think about where Becca was at. And think about where I was at. Grizzly bear, me, my spouse. See, protection in a marriage, if you want to have a godly marriage, you need to have the mindset that you are going to put yourself in between your spouse and the enemy. That you're going to put yourself in between your spouse and harm's way. That whatever is trying to harm your spouse, it's not even just like, let's just kind of, you know, tackle. You, you are going to tackle together. But you need to have the mindset that I'm going to put myself in the position of being in between the enemy's work and what they're trying to do to my spouse. I'm going to contend in prayer. I'm going to contend in whatever. I'm going to, I'm going to put myself in the position to fight off whatever the enemy wants to do. Now, let me give you an absurd picture here. What if, in that situation, when the grizzly bear started to walk towards us, I took out my bear spray and I turned around and I pointed it at Becca. And I started to walk backwards. What's, what's happening? I'm backing right into the enemy. And yet, this is what a lot of people do in their marriage. They end up thinking their spouse is the enemy. They're pointing all their weapons at their spouse as if they are the threat, as if they are the enemy. Meanwhile, we're backing right into the enemy's trap. See, we need to have a mindset that we are going to put ourselves in between. So whatever that looks like in your relationship, even in your friendships or whatever it is, that you are going to put yourself in between harm harm and your spouse. You can put yourself in between the enemy's work and your spouse. Don't just let them handle just you are going to put yourself in the way. All right, number 3, provision. Under the exhaustion of personal resources we see in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 it says, "In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies." It's pretty extreme language here. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Let me me say this. It's not my job to make my wife happy because I can't control what's happening in her. But it is my job to selflessly love. Love. And then whatever happens on her end, that's, that's between her and God and how she works. It's not my job to make her happy, but it is my job to selflessly love and to provide. And that, that could be encouragement, that could be sexual, that could be anything. In fact, years ago, um, I, <laughs> she, she let me know one time that I wasn't maybe the most encouraging person on the planet. <laughs> and so I was like, what am I going to do? And so... I just decided I, I'm going to try to figure out how to do this. So I made a decision that I was going to write some sort of note of encouragement or love to her every single day. And so for the last 3,590 days, without fail, I've written her some note of encouragement. It's not in my, it's not what I'd normally do, but yet I made a decision that I'm going to provide however I can. And she does the same for me. I'm not saying you have to do that. We're just saying that's what, we did. And, and I, I love this statement about marriage, that one of the purposes of marriages is, that, is this, that God gave you to your spouse as a gift so that he might show them how much he loves them through you. That's one of your purposes, is to show your spouse how much God loves them. <laughs> you talk about thinking about a new mindset. Not the enemy, but how much God loves them. How much, and you say, well, how do I know when I'm doing that? Well, it doesn't matter how much you think you're doing that. It only matters when they say that you're doing that, when they feel that in a way that they feel, in a way that they respond. Because what happens is too many times we end up just being roommates in marriage. We end up just being roommates. We end up having, doing life when we're, we're business partners and we're doing all this type of stuff. And, and listen... Years ago, a couple years ago, Becca and I made this decision that we are gonna start taking Sean, what we call Sean and Becca vacations. We even have a category in our budget, Sean and Becca vacation, even while we still have kids in the house. Why? Because I've seen this happen. Again, I've been a pastor for a long time now, and I've seen cycles happen, and what I've discovered is that so many people, when, they, when they, you know, they're, they're parenting kids, and when the kids finally move out, hopefully, finally move out, that these parents this spouse, how many of you guys know that you never end up married to the same person that you started off married to, even if you're married to the same person? Why? Because both of you has changed. Every single year you change and you're supposed to grow together and to grow in love with one another. But what I've seen so many people do is when they have kids, their marriage gets put on pause and their mission in marriage becomes about raising kids. And so they start raising kids. And then when the kids move out of the house, they look at each other one day and realize that we've been raising kids for two decades and we don't even know who, who you are anymore. I don't even know who you are. I don't even know if I like you anymore. I don't even know how to go on a vacation. I don't know how to have fun with you anymore. Because our whole mission has just been to raise kids. And we've just become roommates along the way. And so we decided that we were gonna take Sean and Becca vacations apart from the kids. We take the kids on vacation suit. We take the, and so that's why we went on this trip. Why? Because we're going to learn and know how to adventure with one another and not get eaten at the same time. We are going to learn that and so far so good because we want to learn how to be with one another even after the kids are out of the house. Listen, some people say that kids are a temporary assignment. I don't believe that. I don't believe kids are a temporary assignment, but the assignment does change. And you got to learn how to navigate when the assignment does change. And so even while we have kids in the house, we're going to do those things because we want to learn how to provide for one another. We want to learn how to be with one another. We want to learn how to do that. So one of the things that we did on this trip is I, many of you guys know that I took a sabbatical in 2018 and I went to the Bozeman, Montana area and Headwaters, Missouri, Buffalo Jump. Many of you guys will recall I had a big encounter with God on this place called Buffalo Jump in Montana by myself for a week. I thought I'd never be back there. So when we planned this trip, I said, I'm going to take Becca back there. And so we went to these spots. We went and, and I walked through all the things that God did. And I got to take her on all these hikes and to show her all these places, the exact spots where I had these major encounters with God. And so one day I, just, I said, well, I want to take you to the place where I stayed because I stayed in this Airbnb type place. It was basically off somebody's house that they kind of did that. They kind of look at it kind of like a little ministry that they have as well. And, and it's right off the Missouri River. And I stayed there and I had so many encounters with God. I wrote, uh, many of you guys know that song, Deeper Places, that I wrote that came out of that time and being in Montana. Major encounters with God. And so we drive up there. No no warning or anything. I just pull in their driveway, you know. And so I'm just trying to show her the place and then back out. Well, the lady, Ellie, comes out, and she's, like, all concerned because she doesn't know, you know, what is the person doing here? And I had much less of a beard now than I had then. And so I, I get out, and I, I explain. I said, I was here in 2018, and just wanted to show my wife. And then she recognized me, and she remembered. And so she took us around and, and, uh, you know, got to show Becca all the places where I would sit and watch deer come across at night and all this type of stuff. And I began to share with her. I said, you know, 2018, when I stayed here, was very significant for me. I had a major encounter with God and I wrote a song that was very impactful to me, actually, you know, impacted our church, some of the things that happened in me has set the course of our church in different ways. And actually, we're, we're uh, producing that song as well. And, and uh, it'll come out at the end of this month um, in the studio and all this type of stuff. And as I'm telling her, this, tears are just in her eyes. And she said, I, I never get to hear all the stories of what God does in people's lives when they stay here. Thank you for sharing. She had no idea. So we went away from that, and I was on one of the trails. We were hiking, and I had this thought. I was like, "Ah, I know it's probably not what happened, but I wonder if God had me go all the way to Montana just to tell Ellie about what God did in my life. I thought, that's quite a distance. If God actually did that, that's pretty extreme. And then I thought how much Jesus crossed a distance for us to bring provision to us, to bring peace, joy, love. All when we didn't, I mean, it seemed pretty extreme, right? I mean, to God taking on human flesh, that seems crazy, it's, it's extreme. But he did. And then I, I started thinking about marriage and how sometimes in our marriages, we've decided where the line is of the amount of distance we'll go to bring provision. And some of us have drawn a line with how far we'll go. And it's not very far. And in fact, the more that happens to us in our relationship, it's like the distance gets shorter that we're willing to go to bring provision. The distance is shorter until finally, there's no distance we're willing to travel. And in fact, we start backing up and creating distance. And some of us need to make a decision today that there is no distance that is too great to honor covenant. There's no distance that's too great. There's no distance that's too great. And I'm going to cross that distance. I'm gonna cross that distance. I want the worship team to come back up as we get ready to close. But I wanna remind us and close this out with a scripture in Ephesians chapter five, verse 31. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife the two shall become one flesh. Again, remember the picture of covenant. Two pieces becoming one flesh. In the covenant, God takes one, divides it to make a picture of the one becoming two. And in marriage, it's like, he, it's like he uncreated that for that covenant. But in marriage, it's like he's recreating, bringing the two back into one. And so if marriage is a picture of covenant, that tells us exactly how we are to act in a marriage. We know how to act. If marriage is a picture of God's covenant with us, then we know exactly how to act because God's covenant with us, we know this. We know that in God's covenant with us, we don't have to work for grace. We work from grace, right? So what, is, what, what does it look like in a marriage between a spouse, between believers? It means they don't have to earn grace before we give grace. We don't work for grace. We work from grace. We we don't withhold love because we haven't gotten love. We give love even though we haven't been given love. Why? Because Jesus crossed the distance. That even while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us, even with no guarantee of return, of love in return. And I'm so thankful for that. So thankful for that. The point is that your marriage should look like God's ability to keep covenant. And how I many of you guys know that God never fails on his end, Right? You say, well, I'm going to fail. Yeah, we need God's help. You can't do this on your own. If you haven't figured that out, you can't do this on your own. You can't do this in the natural. You you can do this with God's help, though. You can do this with God's help. And so whether this message touched you in a way that maybe you were dealing with friendships and and it spoke to you there, or maybe you're struggling in marriage, maybe you're struggling with some dark things in your marriage, maybe this has just encouraged you in your relationship with God how much God loves you. I want to encourage you to respond, whatever that looks like for you. Respond to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's moving on your heart, speaking things to you right now. I encourage you to surrender to that. Don't put that on a shelf. Surrender to that. And one of the ways we do that is we respond through worship. We respond through worship. And we want to go to a new place in God, a new place in our relationship. So would you guys stand up with me, and we're going to worship God as we close here. Lord, we thank you. For the covenant that you have with us, that you never fail, help us to be covenant-keeping people. Let marriages thrive and grow in Jesus' name. Amen.